The MX Vice Show. Welcome everybody to episode 151 of the MX Vice Show. We have another action-packed show ready for today. For this episode, we're joined by exciting young Aussie gas gas factory rider Regan Duffy, who's got an amazing story to tell. But before we welcome Regan, we'd like to thank Parts Europe for sponsoring part one of this podcast. Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport tagline is fortified through the Thor and Moose house brands and their support of world lead MX riders such as Valandrin, Prado, Langenfelder, Guadagnini, Jonas, Bogus, and nine times world champion Thor ambassador Tony Cairoli. Your party of dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross, enduro bike, Necken, Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renthal Recluse, and many more in stock ready to be shipped. Check out their website at partsyourup.eu or contact your local Parts Europe dealer. With a dealer network of over 10,000 shops, we're sure there is one close to you. All right, Regan, how's life? And thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, going well, mate. I'm enjoying it at the moment. I'm back in Perth and the weather's great here. So just sort of, I suppose, being a normal kid for a little bit, going down the beach, riding my jet ski, things like that. But uh, yeah, can't complain, really. Yeah, mate, been doing a fair bit of work on the trials bike, keeping sharp and giving a good test to sort of challenge yourself and get back into it with the mate, something fun, but also something a little bit serious too, because it's pretty challenging, I bet. Yeah, 100%. Well, obviously, as a lot of people know, I ended up uh, hurting my wrist in a sort of photo shoot accident training for Supercross. So I had six to seven weeks off the bike there and um, decided I'd start back out slowly on the trials bike and then just started to make it a little bit of progression. And then a couple of mates of mine, Harry and Tom, they got bikes. So now we're all in on the trials. We're doing three and four hour sessions when we go out there, just absolutely smoked by the time we get home but super rewarding to see the progression within trials being able to get through sections that you couldn't you know for 40 minutes beforehand and then it finally happens and you're just stoked so i don't know it's uh it's a roller coaster of emotions out there in the trials park that's awesome mate obviously pretty cool to bring back some positives too because it was a pretty rough end of the obviously you're planning to do supercross and make a real good fist of it and then obviously qmp had the head knock coolum had the burn and then the arm accident so it's just been a shocker mate so i guess looking back at 2023 how's it all been for you mate and just another sort of step in the you know growing learning you've been through so much obviously with the life-threatening accident i'm sure all the fans a lot of them you know know all about it mate so yes how's it all been for you mate it just seems like there's no luck something's always happening around the corner so i guess it just takes pretty sort of strong mindset to firstly come back from what you went through mate and a lot of people on mx vice always when we do the interviews or comments or posts they show massive respect to you mate so how is it all mate from your perspective just going through these challenges and continuing having to get knocked down and coming back up again oh mate 100 percent. it's very difficult i've had just a, a gut-wrenching year it's not anything like i had dreamt or planned um but yeah i'm not holding any sort of grudge or sadness towards it it just it is what it is so yeah the year started off difficult to be honest so i was riding um actually at the track that i had the accident at bunbury and i was feeling really good we'd had a solid little pre-season i was riding with webster and some other boys and yeah we went down there and i wasn't quite warmed up yet and uh them guys had been out just a little bit before me and they started doing some sprint laps before the day's motos and oh, I'd only done maybe two laps and then pulled up and they were saying, oh yeah, go do a sprint lap and I was umming and ahhing and then I thought, nah, I'll just go do it and then yeah, I probably got like three quarters of a way around the lap and just landed a little bit funky off this um, turning tabletop into a sweeper, just landed in between two lines 
and it just spat me and then uh yeah i had a massive crash and snapped my thumb so then i swear i've been paying catch up from january like it's just been thing after thing going wrong and maybe not fully healed each time i've jumped back on the bike so yeah to start off the year like that was really frustrating because i was riding well i still now i think that's the best i was riding all year which is a bummer but uh yeah as you know or as you know anyway i don't know about all the fans there was uh yeah it just continued on for the whole year the bad luck obviously um we got to the first round and you know, unfortunately we had uh, Braden Overture pass away in that crash. For me personally, that was difficult to sort of have my first race back and then almost feel like I was in the same situation as myself. So that was pretty hard on the mental side. I definitely felt terrible for all the friends and family involved and even the guys involved in the accident. You know, you've got to live with that forever. But um then moving on, we went to Appen, I'm pretty sure, and man, it was so hot there. So I was I was just cooking. I was not fit still from the accident, still trying to come back. Um, I did terrible. Like I got laps. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, moving on, there was all these other tracks and it just wasn't wasn't clicking for me so much. And then um ended up making a move up to Queensland prior to the last few rounds. Uh, well, more so to taking a step back. I went in the mid-season break. I come back to WA. I just felt like I needed a bit of a refresh. I was getting in a bit of a slump and um, just not enjoying myself. So I come home for a race called the King of the Sand in WA, which is you know quite a decent-sized race we have here. A lot of fans and everything come. So uh, I did super well there. I won, won a moto, um, ended up winning the shootout, and there were some big names there like uh, Metcalf. Um, Webster had a crash earlier, unfortunately, but then Manier and uh, Caleb Grothews, who was just, as per usual, killing it but doesn't care about motocross anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was super cool to win the shootout. It was almost like, oh, this is my turning point. Um, so then I stayed home for the rest of that break because I felt like it was a good, good move for me. And then next round, I just silly crashes, things like that. And then that's when I moved up to, uh, Gold Coast and started with, um, Nathan Crawford from Doha Elite. And then, um, yeah, got into it and I was riding really well. It was super good through the weeks. I was riding sick i was battling with the top guys like obviously there's tanty and crawford among others like uh liam atkinson and caleb barham on that crew and you know through the week i'm just as fast as those guys at the moto track but uh come to race that it just wasn't coming together for me so we went to qmp um didn't qualify amazing but had a sort of good feel about the track so i was looking forward to it and then i think we maybe got four or five turns in and then um yeah we just come down this hill and someone just wrapped on the throttle in front of me and i just seen this rock coming straight at me and it just hit me straight in the balls and it just made me literally fall over the front of the bars and i just i veered off the track i wasn't even focused on where i was going at this moment um so sorry to everyone that was behind me at that point but, yeah, I was in agony. And then as I'm coming off the track, someone just lands up a jump straight into the side of me and just sort of center punches me. And then I come down and slap my head and sort of concuss myself. So that was the end of my day. I didn't even make a lap at the second last round. So we made the decision. I was with Kyle Blunden, who's um, sort of our manager at Gas Gas and KTM and the like. Um yeah, we made a decision to sit it out because after a head knock, it's probably not great to ride at the best of times. But for me, who was completely out of the championship runnings, it was maybe a, a smarter idea. And our plan was to then just rest up and really have a go at Coolum as I'm normally a good sand rider. 
so then we had that week break, um, continued on, was riding well through the week again, really well through that week, actually. Uh, so then, yeah, it got to Coolum and it was the Saturday qualifying and we were going around. I hadn't done a lap yet. And then I seen Gibbsy and someone else, maybe Clout, something like that. But uh, I seen them come past me and I jumped on the back of them and I was just cruising on the back of them guys. Wasn't even, I thought, oh, this is going to be a shit lap. I didn't even feel good at all. But I was staying on the back of Gibbsy and then with the last maybe couple straights to go, I decided to ride up onto his back wheel and I come in really close behind him in this uh, left-hander little berm. And then his back wheel sort of blew over the top of the berm, but he kept going. Like, it was no stress for him. And I just – I followed a little bit too long and my front end just pushed over the berm. And then I went to step off the bike, but the bike slid out from underneath me. I was sort of, sort of like a deliberate let go of the bike because I was just going to land on my feet. And then as that happened, I got all off balance and I fell and just sat straight on my muffler and just for one second, not even, and it just instantly burnt through my pants and then burnt my balls. <laughs> That's brutal. So, oh, I, I couldn't believe it, but I didn't really click on what had happened until I got up and I was riding away and I looked down at my pants and there was just a perfect outline of like where all my setup is. And I was like, wow, everything is actually hanging out right now. So rode straight to my mechanic, Declan, and then Chris Woods, uh, another guy who helps out within the team there. And I was covering it. And then I'm like, boys, my dick is out. And they were like, what? And I was like, no, seriously. I moved my hand and then just everything is out. And they were like, oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, I just burnt it. And then there's all people on the fence, like, just looking at me. And I'm just everything is out and I was like just give me some rags or something so I can jam them down there like it was hurting but maybe still the adrenaline was going at the moment from the burn that is so I, we jammed some rags in my pants and I took off and I reckon I reckon I got to the first turn and all the rags fell out <laughs> so I did the whole rest of this next lap I actually I was ripping on this lap and crashed again just a little tip over stupid one um so i've pretty much done the whole lap naked qualified all good and then um i was pulling in and it just started really really burning and i was like nah i gotta go to race safe so i went straight in there and john park was in there and i was like john i've just burnt my balls like you, you need to help me this is real bad so then yeah we've had I was in there just, yeah, pants down, sailing, getting poured on my nutsack. It was terrible. So, yeah, another <laughs> another chapter to my book is what I keep telling everyone. It's going to be a bestseller one day. Oh, mate, must have been so painful. And, yeah, like you say, you can't write this stuff, make it up. It's just wild, the sort of chain of events you've suffered, mate. And it's I don't know how you stay upbeat, to be honest, with all the crap going on, mate, because I suppose it's just like you've got a good mindset and a good attitude and, like, you obviously see the positives out of everything, mate. But, yeah, it must get pretty tough. I'm sure the family, the friends, the team, you know, everyone around you obviously keep you pretty high up as well as possible, mate, and bring that positive because, yeah, it's been pretty tragic what's going on. And then, obviously, you were really looking forward to Supercross, weren't you, because you're really good at Supercross, good on the bikes, Feel good at jumping, something you love, and you haven't been able to do it for quite a few years with injuries, obviously, and the COVID stuff. So that was another bloody pain in the ass thing to go through, wasn't it? Yeah, it was annoying. I, I really wanted to do Supercross. I haven't done it since, well, raced it since 2019. Um, and with 2019, I think I maybe got oh four, four days on a Supercross track beforehand, before I started, and I'd never done it before. Because um, I got called up for Nations. So then, yeah, the, the priority very quickly switched to riding sand um, for Assen, that was. So, yeah, my whole Supercross preseason was training on a sand track for, you know, the wet Assen track. But, uh, yeah, so I come home and I actually, I actually went over a berm 
that first qualifying session for my first ever Supercross, so I missed out. And I was like, oh, no, this is maybe this isn't for me. But I somehow turned it around and ended up fifth in the championship. So um, after, you know, not even st- doing one round. So then I fell in love with it because I started riding it really well. The um, the round in Newcastle, I think it was. Or anyway, the round in New South Wales, I actually got third in one of the finals, sort of, you know, had some moments like banging bars with Chris Close and stuff. And I was only 17, so I was thinking, yeah, maybe this is this is the avenue. This is really cool. So away from that, I was uh, – really looking forward to this year because like you said i do love supercross i've always been a jumper my timing is really good so yeah i was going well through the weeks i was just uh i sort of told myself i was going to take it slow and build my way up make sure i'm comfy with everything before i start running pace with it and uh yeah i was just getting to that point as we got to our team photo shoot and we were really struggling for water there that, that are in a drought where we were. So the track was really beat down and dusty by the end of the day. And, uh, yeah, did this one section. It was a triple in and then quad over two tabletops to a triple out. Did it all day. No stress. It was, it was a hard jump to get with the timing, but all day, no problem. And then, uh, yeah, we just needed to get a couple more clips filming. So, Everyone else is packed up. They didn't want to ride anymore because the track was so beat. And, yeah, just just being a people pleaser, I was like, yeah, I'll go back out. No stress. We'll, we'll get some clips and photos, whatever. And, yeah, just slightest mistake and just overjump that quad. And because it was such a big quad off the backside of a tabletop, it shot you really high. So when I come down, just felt my wrist break. And then I've gone off the next jump a little bit out of control and I just ghosted my bike, just threw it so I didn't have a even more big crash and I just sort of slid and just sat there on the grass for a little bit and I knew straight away I'd broken my wrist. So I just sat there blank, just not really much emotion, didn't didn't know what to think. I was just, yeah, in that moment, I'm just thinking, this is it. I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I can't keep getting you know beat down and getting back up so i had about three minutes of not wanting to ride anymore and then it clicked back love moto again so (laughs) but uh yeah really really tough pill to swallow oh mate it's brutal isn't it and obviously those photo shoots you saw jeffrey hurlings last year missed the whole year with one of those at the beginning of his season mate so yeah it's just i don't know you can't there once again you can't script and it's just crazy the adversity you keep having to go through, mate. But it's really cool listening back to the pod you did with Jace, obviously, on Gypsy Tales. Yeah, just the love of moto shone through there. Obviously, you want kids and anyone to just get into it because it's so cool and just have full gates and everyone enjoying the sport. So that's pretty cool that, like, even though what you've been through, it never goes away still, mate. You're still sort of promoting the sport and love what you do and still want to, you know, be involved in any way possible, whether it's helping people riding yourself or just doing a bit of coaching or trials bikes. It's all fun. It's all part of the game, isn't it, mate? So to stay like that it's sort of your passion and your love and it's probably never going to be changed is it it's my life yeah it's uh i was just saying to my dad last night we were just sitting outside and i said you've got to understand how hard it is for me dad i've been a professional athlete since i was you know 14 years old aside from living my whole life up to that point basically living like an athlete but um yeah moved moved to the other side of the country when when i was that age and have been training ever since i said it's going to be very hard for me to give it up it it actually has become my life it's a it's almost a habit now for you know getting up doing your training even now i'm home i've got no races coming up or anything like that but i'm cycling three times a week i'm in the gym twice a week and you know running doing all this stuff that i don't have to do but you know, it's just habit. So, uh, yeah, it is my love. It's my life. And I, yeah, I truly, truly love the sport and it really didn't go away even with my accident. You know, it's, uh, something that would turn a lot of people away for sure. And 
I can see that 100%. I had my moments, but um, yeah, it's given me so much motocross. So I feel like I almost owe it to motocross to try give back in any which way I can. And I feel like I have a fair bit to give back. Uh, got a lot of knowledge within the sport. My, you know, maybe I can't ride anymore. Not very well anyway, but um, yeah, I still know what to do. It's still all in my head. No, mate, you're still a weapon on the bike for sure. And obviously, you've probably got a little bit of period ahead of you where you're sort of working out what to do for 2024. Yeah, have you got any sort of things in the works you can share or just, yeah, just keep having fun for now, mate, I guess, enjoying it. And because, yeah, it's like a gift, like you say, riding every day and doing the training. And it's something you can't just snap out of because, you know, professional athletes, it's sort of hardwired that way to sort of want that adrenaline and, and want the work and enjoy suffering and the sacrifice. It's just all you ever know in a lot of ways, mate. So I guess back to that conversation with your dad as well. Was he sort of ushering you to stop or he's just encourages to do what makes you happy? He's been ushering me to stop since the doomsday, to be fair. Yeah. He's always been of the mindset of if you're going to do it, do it properly and I'll support you. But, you know, if it's not going to be 100%, then don't worry about it, which is, I agree with that for sure. But, you know, uh, on a bit of a like personal note, I've had two of my older brothers pass away. So it's very hard for my dad to see me doing a sport that nearly took his last son. So uh, I think, you can sort of understand where my dad comes from in the sense of if I'm not going to be a hundred percent, then he doesn't want me doing it. So I can understand as well, hundred percent, but uh, yeah. So yeah, we're a little bit up in the air with what the go is with 2024. I'm still in a race a hundred percent, but I'm just sort of in talks with people at the moment, trying to figure out what the best Avenue is for me. Um, but I'll definitely be, at nationals whether it be select nationals or all of them as yet that's up in the air but um yeah staying staying around motocross 100 percent. i want to help out i want to be a part of the nationals if i can um so yeah we'll just have to wait and see to be honest yeah mate, absolutely yeah everyone even in europe so many people know you because of the nations and the impending move you're just about to move to europe before that mm. so yeah mate all the best with everything for sure. And you just want to see you succeed and doing what you enjoy, mate. And just, I reckon there's a bit of a buzz around the track whenever you're out there because people just want to see you do well. So I guess you probably feel that a lot from the fans. You probably get a lot of messages on social media and all this stuff. So that probably is a pretty cool boost. Everyone's in your corner, mate, wanting you to do well. Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I speak with uh, Leanne and Ant from Berry Sweet, who are, you know, one of my main sponsors have been for years. And Ant says to me, I've never had so many pro riders call me about another pro rider and speak well. You know, that everyone always speaks so highly of me. And he says, I've never seen that where other riders want another rider to do so good. But, um, yeah, I take a lot of pride in that. I feel like I've always been on a really good level with everyone. I've been respectful, been polite. Um, and I've made a lot of friends through doing that you know and it's not something that i've ever had to put on it's just how i am i feel like you know i can be mean if i have to but i feel like i am a nice person and i've always got along super well with everyone within the industry and always given everyone the time of the day never been that dickhead guy that won't sign someone's poster because yeah i ever since a little kid we had nationals here in western australia years ago and I can't remember who it was. I probably don't want to remember who it was, but yeah, they they just didn't want to sign a poster for me. And I was like, I'm never going to be that person. So ever since then, I've been the polar opposite of that. Maybe, you know, I'm sort of getting yelled at to get on my bike because I'm still signing posters and stuff like that when the people are on the line. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to have that support not from just the riders, just from, you know, our whole industry, whether it be Australia or international. I've still got people checking in with me from overseas all the time. So I really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I think it would actually be cool for me to maybe go see a GP or see AMA at some point next year. If i am got some time off from racing, I'd love to go over and just catch up with some people and, see how it all operates over there obviously i only got to see nations and um yeah after my big accident i was probably only two weeks away from moving to europe so it all got cut short for me so 
I would love to go over there and see how it all operates and, you know, meet, meet some new people. Yeah, mate, obviously you'd be well received for sure. Obviously we do a lot of MXGP stuff here and yeah, you're still really highly spoken of here and everyone's sort of asked how you're doing and what the progress is. And yeah, there's not a heap of Aussies over there at the moment. Obviously the Lawrence brothers were there and they're doing their thing in America, which is super cool. But yeah, the MXGP paddock, it's no joke. And when Aussies move over there, they sort of got to be all in because it's a lot of times no going back because you put so much life's work into it. So do you reckon in the long run, there'll be many more Aussies going back to MXGP? But it's hard with the money side. They seem to be following the AMA Supercross dream, which is understandable understandable as well mate so where do you sort of see obviously the state of aussie motocross is really good there's lots of awesome talent super quick you know ryan alexanderson even went and did the amx ryan king who's a kiwi did the amx and alexanderson shredded in one of those adac rounds on the hard pack so it's always cool to see aussies you know testing themselves overseas mate so you feel like i guess the atmosphere is shifting more towards supercross but there's still some select kids that you know want to do the motocross and maybe don't have access to supercross tracks it's not the easiest thing in the world to find so what's your take on the state of play and just yeah how the pathway is for aussies getting there it's not that easy is it it's definitely not easy but i think you know you put in the effort you get the results the the pathway comes about for me um put in the work was doing really well had a solid year that's probably you know one of the best years of my career i was 16 and one man up against all the you know top guys in the country come over for that that was massive i won um the under 19s title in my rookie year uh among other things then state titles and other races like that and then got the call up for nations so sometimes everything just falls in line for you so i think a lot of these sort of young aussie kids especially need to just keep their head down because who knows maybe one day an opportunity does arise like that so um yeah i think the state of playing moto is we have got bulk good riders there's so many good riders in australia but yeah it's really hard to get over there and get noticed because obviously our population compared to maybe america or europe's population is absolutely a drop in the ocean so um there's a reason why they have so many more good riders there's just their populations are ridiculous so uh yeah i think we can get some guys over there there's definitely guys that are like you said ryan went over there and did really well in the adac race and uh, competed in some emx but yeah i think there's you know there could be 10 guys that could go to europe from oz that you know could maybe work their way up Obviously, it's going to take a bit of time. No one's going to go there and win. Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, who knows? But uh, yeah, I think we've got a lot of talent in Australia. And I'm hoping that the Europe dream doesn't dwindle away for Aussies. I, I really like that pathway of heading to Europe first, like what the Lawrence brothers did, getting those sort of few years in the fundamentals, the suffer, I think you would call it, Obviously, even the Euros know their tracks are gnarly. Their conditions are gnarly. Um, Spending a winter and, in Lommel, mate, that's no joke. Oh, I can imagine. But, you know, go do that, suffer for a couple of years and then reap the rewards in America like we're seeing our two best riders do. So, yeah, I, I hope that doesn't dwindle away because I do feel like it is a better pathway. I feel like you maybe can do it by going straight to the US but whether or not you're tough enough who knows but you know even back in the day Jeff Lees he went to Europe first Reed went to Europe first the guys that have been successful have gone there first I don't know it's you know it's a very limited number of people that have gone straight to US and done well out of Australia yeah. so who knows um we'll see but back to the point we've got a lot of good riders in Australia. So, yeah, I feel like we can see some guys in the next few years sort of heading over there. Um, obviously, Cade Muneer is a young kid coming up. He's doing super well and he's very young. So, But then behind him, kids younger than him even more. So they're ripping. So, uh, yeah, I've got high hopes for the future of Aussie motocross. Yeah, mate, obviously that's some good advice there. Obviously you've been through so much, mate, and, you know, sort of we're on that pathway. So it's obviously you could give plenty of good advice on the situation. And yeah, I suppose it does breed a sort of a more complete, more rounded, maybe tougher rider 
doing that European route first because you're in the hard pack of France where, you know, you see the nations that wasn't for everyone. Just that throttle control and the skill and that really loose back wheel feel. It's not something you can just get at any track and just like riding on a rock, really, a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, moving to different climates, Spain, you go to Italy, France, then you can go to cold sands in Belgium and slog it out in the winter. So there's definitely a lot of that. And obviously the Scandinavian guys too, they say, you know, growing up in those cold, harsh environments, having to make it happen. You can't pick and choose when the sunny days are happening. You just got to make it happen and put the work in because there's sort of no cheat code, is it, mate? The work is what happens. And I guess as a race, did you find the confidence comes from the work and the training, not necessarily so much the results? Because on the gate, it's sort of just you and the bike. There's no sort of exterior factors. If you haven't done the work, it shows up, doesn't it, mate? So is that probably, you know, your mindset as well in terms of that? Yeah, 100%. For me, it was always... uh very fun based for some reason i'm not too sure why if i was having fun i was riding good yeah um yeah that sort of 2021 before the accident that's the best i've ever felt on a motorbike i felt like the na- if the nationals restarted i was going to go back and just go crazy but that didn't happen so who will ever know that's just my opinion but that's the best i've ever felt on a bike then sort of Weeks or months after the season got postponed until it got cancelled, we sort of kept training with Ross Beaton and down there. And then once it got cancelled, I went home. And that's obviously when I did that state title in Western Australia where I got ran over. But um, yeah, for me, it was like putting in the work, but then just having a good feel on the bike. I could play around, do whips, do stoppies, wheelies. That's when I was feeling my best, when I would be in between sessions and, you know, riding riding back to the van, jumping over berms and stuff like that. I just, I don't know. Sometimes you see a good racehorse and they're just galloping around when they're, all the other horses are just walking. You just get a good feel. Yeah, Jet's a bit like that too, isn't he? Yeah, 100%. You know, that's when I watch Jet ride, it, it it almost makes me sad because I'm like, wow, that's that's how I used to ride. And everyone's like, wow, yeah, no one's ever done this before. And then I'm just sitting on my couch in Wanneroo, Western Australia, thinking, huh, I probably could have done that to some extent. Maybe not jet extent, but that's how I used to ride when I was feeling good. So, But in saying that, stoked for the kid. He's doing so well for our sport, especially in Australia. But our sport in general, bringing you know outside eyes to it such as Hayden Deegan as well. That's Them two are going to be massive for our sport. Oh, yeah, mate, absolutely. And then, you're yeah, looking at A1 with both the Lawrence brothers, obviously Tanty as well and other Aussies going over there. So it's going to be massive. And, yeah, Rox and Tomax, Sexton, Webb. It's pretty amazing, mate. I don't know if you're going to A1 or is that in the plans, mate? Because it'd be pretty special to be there, wouldn't it? And to be honest, I hadn't even thought of it, but that's probably a good idea. I want to go. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be epic, mate. It's going to be all happening, that's for sure. And yeah, obviously, we have so many listeners from America and, and the USA, and I'm sure most of them probably know your story, mate. But just sort of tell us about how you got into motocross, how you fell in love with it. Obviously, old man, haven't spoken to you in the past. He was pretty big on making you watch those Everts videos for the technique. Obviously, you're a really tall guy, so and you're powerful, so you know how to handle a bike. And you didn't really have to worry too much about the 250, so the age rule didn't really matter too much to you for the Europe stuff. But yeah, just tell us about how you got into motocross, the steps in your pathway, and I guess when you realise the professional sort of side of it could become a reality? Yeah, I think from a very young age, I always thought I was going to be the best in the world, to be honest. That's that's how a lot of young kids are. They race motocross and then they're like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to be Ricky Carmichael. I want to, I want to be Stefan Everts, things like that. Um, for me, sort of just at a very young age, I'm speaking like maybe two or less on push bikes and things like that that sort of starts the two wheels life i suppose and to go back even more than that dad reckons i used to be in the cot and he would be above me with toy motorbikes sort of you know just instilling dirt bikes in me before i even knew what they were (laughs) so uh yeah then we went from there and for my second birthday i got a, a kdx 50 which is basically the Kawasaki version of a Wee 50 it's exactly the same but green and uh I got that for my second birthday so I think I was riding around with training wheels for like yeah not very long at all they were very soon they were kicked off and then just always wanting to ride uh just loved it straight away obviously I seen my dad ride he was 
he was actually quite a good rider himself in his own respect. He just didn't really care. He, he more cared for just having fun with his mates and chasing girls. So maybe that's why he's been so harsh on me. So I don't <laughs> go down that path. But um, yeah, so he sort of taught me everything I know uh, up until, yeah, 14 years of age, maybe. Everything I ever knew on a bike was dad. So that was national titles and state titles included in that. Um, very knowledgeable, just uh, sometimes his delivery is very harsh in the things he's saying and the things he's teaching me. So we butt heads quite a lot, as a lot of people would know. But uh, yeah, so I did my first ever race when I was three and a half. Um, you have to be four to race in Australia, but dad just forged my birthday. So I still still have a vivid memory of being at sign on that day and the lady looked down at me and she said, you're a very small four-year-old. And I just <laughs> being like, huh, yeah, maybe because I'm not. Um, and then, yeah, I think I got punished my first day racing, to be honest. I come in bawling my eyes out, Dad said. But from there, it just continued on and got a bit older. And I, I actually had a lot of years of second places um, in the junior state titles in WA. There was... Uh, a friend of mine called Jacob Daniels, he, he beat me for like two or three years in a row. And each year he would say, there's always next year, Egan, at the end. And I'm like crying. I was so emotional when I was younger with racing. If I if I lost, I'm balling my eyes out. Like means everything to me. So yeah, the next year I beat him and I remember him crying. And I said, there's always next year, Jacob. But I, <laughs> yeah, there was never a next year from then because I just kept winning. So um that's how it started i won my first uh national title in 2014 on a 65 and that year actually it was a strange year at our, at our junior nationals normally they run all classes maybe one one race per day and go like that through the week but for some reason that year they decided that 85 small wheels and down would be the first three days and then the next three days would be you know, 85 big wheel and up. So we had a very weird track. It was sort of one lined and really hard to pass on. And uh, that was the first time I ever ran into Jet Lawrence. So, um, yeah, we went back and forth in the 85 class. We went racing in the 65 class. He was in the younger age group. He's a year younger than me. But uh, the first motor, I got the whole shot and I won by 18 seconds, I think. And then... Uh, Second motor, he hole shot it and just on his back wheel, whole race. Too stupid to know how to pass because I don't, I've never had to race anyone at this point. So I had no idea how to pass a kid. So I just literally rode on his back wheel until the finish line, went across <laughs> my front wheel at his engine casings. And then uh, the next motor, the, which was the final motor, there's so three finals, he hole shot it again. Same story. Just on his back wheel, too stupid to try set up a pass or anything. And, yeah, we come across the line and my front wheel was, like, at his forks. So he beat me by that much. And I remember later that day I'm walking up to get some food and he just, like, he's like, oi. I looked over and he was at the KDM truck. because Hunter and stuff were on the team. He's like, want an autograph? And I was like, <laughs> oh, Man, no shit, I hated that kid from there. <laughs> Could not believe he just said that to me like as if I was just, just some terrible rider that he'd smoked. But I was like, you little smartass. But, yeah, so anyway, that's that's the first national story. And then come to Bunbury in WA the next year, 2015, I won the uh, 85 big wheel title. There was a middle age group. I won that national. Um, and then I was just turned 13, so I got to ride the 125 as well. I was super small. I ended up getting fifth on that. Um, 2016, I can't remember 2016. I think 2016 I got third in both 125 and 250. I was a little bit younger than everyone. 2017 won the uh, 125 national title. In 2018 I had a massive crash, which a lot of people would have seen. I clipped my boot on a tabletop and did a massive Superman and landed on my back, but I still won the 250 title. So uh, from 2014, you know, I've always been a, a podium national level guy. So 
that was sort of a summary of my junior career along with a bunch of state titles and stuff within there. But um, I guess that's how I got into racing and that was a pathway up to being a professional level rider, I suppose. Yeah, it's pretty cool, mate. So many obviously awesome riders you've raced against and cool stories. And yeah, Jet's still got that sort of fun, loving vibe about him where he's always sort of ready for a laugh and ready to sort of stir up people. So it's pretty cool. He's still obviously maintained that from back then. And it's pretty cool. The old man obviously put you through your paces, mate, and instilled some pretty cool lessons in you and which sort of carries forward into not just moto life, but real life. So I guess you probably owe a lot to him and you probably don't want to thank him too much or get a big head as we say down here in Australia, mate. But I'm guessing he was a pretty valuable sort of resource for you and just instilling all those lessons that hold you in good stead in all aspects of life. Yeah, if I say too much, I won't even tell him that I did a podcast, to be honest. <laughs> then I won't hear the end of it. But yeah, I, I owe everything to my dad. It's always been just him and I. Um, it's been the bachelor pad for as long as I can remember. Just dad and I doing our thing, working on the farm. Uh yeah, a lot of people don't know. Actually, I suppose you would say I'm like a third or fourth generation farmer. So originally my family was dairy farming and then my granddad sort of changed it into, you know, for, for beef, like cattle farming. Um, so for a lot of my younger life, I was on the farm heaps. Like our farms were sort of a big deal. Back in the day, it was a lot of work. Dad had 1600 head of cattle at some points so um that was flat out and then luckily i got to escape over east when i was like 14 so it stopped for me so uh yeah dad will tell you i don't know how to work anymore but i used to <laughs> I used to work like a dog <laughs> in my eyes anyway but uh yeah i owe everything to my dad he's given me everything still does anything i need now he'll sort it out whether he does it with a grumpy attitude on him or not he still still does everything for me and i love him for that so uh yeah i can't thank my dad enough for everything yeah mate well said and obviously a lot of respect going out to you know the farming world's not easy mate there's some pretty lean years and me old man's been involved in it heavily so yeah it's pretty brutal out there you never sort of know how it's going to play out with so many varying factors so i guess that sort of edge comes from that too doesn't it the hard work and just having respect for what you're doing and other people so nah, it's really cool to hear mate and yeah i guess switching the focus back to the guess the aussie series must be hard as a rider for you mate obviously coming through the ranks you probably want to race more and more as you get older but the aussie series has sort of got those big gaps in the calendar and probably not enough races like all the riders say and it's just difficult to sort of like this year have a seven week gap and keep on the pulse and you know trying to squeeze in a few races here and there but it's not the sort of ideal thing for an athlete when you look at the series you know mxgp and ama there's so many races so many gate drops high level stuff and it's more about maintenance whereas it's probably a strange approach having to sort of do almost another pre-season with that seven week gap so what would your ideal sort of mix between motocross and supercross be like 10 and 6 would that be something obviously it's a logistical nightmare to organize these things and the people that are in charge mm -hmm. of it have a lot of work and a lot of things on their plate but just your ideal sort of schedule and your take on it all mate as a rider yeah well i think first off you know i don't don't want my opinion to come across like I'm ungrateful for any of our serious promoters or anything like that because, you know, straight up, I couldn't do anything they do. Um, like, I really appreciate that we even have nationals because, yeah, we were going through a little period there where we weren't sure uh, with the promoters changing hands, we weren't sure how it was going to go about at all. So, um, yeah, I just want to clear the air there first off, but... Mm an ideal world for me i think what you said is nearly perfect for us you know the 10 national rounds i feel like 10 is a a solid number and it solidifies the championship i think don't think eight is really enough you don't have time to i suppose have a shitty round and then come back you do and you don't but you uh, i'm sure you and the listeners understand what i mean um yeah but uh, then moving on to Supercross, I think six rounds is acceptable. Three rounds is, you know, I heard that we weren't going to have any Supercross at all, so I can't complain with three rounds. I'm not even racing it. So, But in the future, it would be awesome if we could have, yeah, sort of five, six rounds. I feel like that would be really cool, but it's a process. Unfortunately, we've got to build up here. We don't. Yeah, we don't have, like I said earlier in the podcast, we don't have that same population as the international places where they get so many fans and things like that. You know, we're lucky to get 
20, 30,000 fans at a Supercross, that's killing it for us. So um, that's why I think it's really hard to then be adding rounds and adding those costs. But, yeah, I'm not too sure. I think it would be cool in the national side of things if we could have it a little bit more frequent, which obviously adding a couple more rounds would help with that. And then, yeah, that mid-season break, for me personally, I did not like it. It was it was too much. Um, yeah, wasn't wasn't a fan. But who knows? They'll, I'm sure they'll be looking at all that and figuring out what's the best way forward regardless. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of conversation to have. Obviously, maybe introducing some of those two-day weekends or double headers or stuff like that just to make it sort of more worth your while. Three moto weekends like they do in the ADAC, have one on the Saturday, Arvo, two on the Sunday, this kind of thing. They could even be shorter. Uh, just more point scoring stuff. Is that a qualifying race even? I don't know. For points like they do in MXGP now, all those things sort of, I guess, ideas to maximise the racing weekend, especially for guys like yourself if you come from WA or even though you train over on the east. But, yeah, a lot of privateers, they do it the hard way. They've got to travel some long distances and it's a long way to go for just, you know, not so much racing or even bike time. Like a lot of them, you know, you might get there on the Thursday or the Friday morning and you don't ride till Sunday or whatever, depending on the round. So I guess, yeah, your take on all that, mate, is that sort of something you'd be interested in? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I think it is, like you say, very difficult for the privateers. Um, WA guys, especially, obviously, where, you know, for for the US listeners, if any, you know, Australia is nearly as big as the United States. Like, it's massive. Mm. Guys are coming from the very West Coast because literally you, you nearly live on the beach when you're in Perth. That's everyone sort of is around the coastline more so than not. Um, so it's coming from, you know, the very West to the very East where in Australia everything is on some form of coastal line to an extent so massive for those guys but even the guys that are coming from cans things like that that's you know 20 or 18 hour drives just to get to brisbane i don't even know i'm going on because i don't I don't know the exact hours on this but uh yeah. very long drives for privateers to not get very much is you know to summarize what i'm trying to spit out right now so if there was any way that we could maybe get more racing or, you know, qualifying race, I'm not too sure. There'll, I'm sure there'll be people that don't like the sound of that. There's, there's been a lot of hate the GPs have got for their qualifying races. But, uh, yeah, I think with the big gaps and stuff, it's difficult because those guys make all that effort to come and then they've got to go home. And then, you know, by the end of that week or two, they're already then trying to travel back down because it, you know, it's a nearly a week of traveling for some guys. It's two working full time jobs and stuff. Yeah, working full time jobs. It's two to three days of driving each way for some of the more extreme cases. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just a rider at the end of the day. I I would love to help out if I can, give some opinions. But yeah, like I say, there's uh, some people in higher places that are they'll sort things out. So I'll put my trust in those guys, Mark Lotsich and that whole group of people. They're very smart and they want the best for Aussie Moto. So I'll just hang 10 and see what they come up with. Absolutely, mate. they got the best interests at heart, you know, and like a lot of the factors around organising a series are completely out of their hands. So you sort of do what you can, make the most of it. And yeah, a lot of the guys you speak to, you'd speak to them in Europe and stuff. They think, you know, you're driving 18 plus hours and you're still in the same state in Australia. It's like just a massive country. And it's that's why the series has to be sort of isolated to that East Coast, even though, you know, from the top to the bottom in, you know, distance, it's massive, you know, from like, say, Adelaide all the way up to Queensland. That's no joke. That trip to get bikes up for people if they can't afford to fly or however they work it mate but yeah just back to obviously you having experience you know working in those training environments obviously beaten and the work with zero zero elite training program there so yeah what do you make of those environments obviously they're a pretty good atmosphere to you know environment to really sort of get stuck in and sort of challenge yourself against the best and you know they test you mentally physically i guess it's good to have barometers to push yourself against obviously that stuff you see in america with star racing and the out and baker and there's a bit of one with the yamaha guys in europe going on so just your sort of I guess, adaptation to the program. I guess they're not for everyone, are they, mate? Those sort of heavy days where you're all motoring down and someone's got to win, someone's got to lose and dealing with the ups and downs with all that, especially as a young man where you're sort of growing as a human as well. So how was it for you, mate? Obviously, you adapted to it really well, but 
I guess you've probably seen some guys dip in and dip out of the program and sort of, you know, struggle with failure and, you know, dealing with not being the top guy every day. So your perspective on that one? Yeah, well, from uh, when I was about 14, I was with Ross Beaton on his program. And, you know, I can't say enough good things about it. It sort of gave me an unreal, I suppose, base, you would call it, to pursue my racing dreams and Ross himself has a lot of knowledge. He was a great rider back in the day before a bit of an injury pushed him towards coaching. So um, being in those environments, it's super cool. I, I guess for any international listeners, the difference with us in a training program as such is it's not just one team. So when you say Star Yamaha, they've got their crew or whatever it is, PC, Cowie. So for us, it, nearly every single one of us on the group say there's 10 or whatever it is say for example 10 riders you know nearly every one of us is on a different brand of bike or a different team but we all go to that one sort of training group um and then i suppose you would say we work together um but uh yeah it's really cool it's it's very professional uh ross's group has their own sort of transponder system things like that so it's yeah that's pretty special but uh yeah it's it's cool the and then i uh made the change up to double elite also a bit of a lifestyle change i suppose you'd say just for you know a bit better weather try something new try see if i could refresh myself i suppose and uh that was really cool in itself it was very different approach between the two programs but you know, both going for the same outcome. So it was cool to see the the different ways that, you know, different training groups go about it. And then, yeah, so it was really cool. Crawf, Crawf is a very knowledgeable guy also. So um, Yes, the blokes pre- teaching the young guys too, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, uh, I appreciate both those guys massively. Definitely helped me out my first year back. So, yeah. That's about it, really. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like all in programs, mate, which is really cool. And it streamlines the sort of the process of getting better, which is awesome, mate. And a couple more before we let you go. Just, I guess, with motocross being so heavy and all you've been through, mate, what are some of the hobbies you like doing? And just to take your mind off it, because it's pretty heavy, you know. So you like to relax. You like the Lawrence boys hit, have a hit of golf or jet ski. Obviously, you mentioned before is pretty fun. So what do you sort of do in your spare time, mate? Maybe get out on the farm and do some work as well? Uh, yeah, I, I've been getting sent out of the farm a little bit now. <laughs> Dad will scoff at that because he reckons I do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, massive golf fan. Big, big fan of that. Uh, I don't know whether it's maybe just, you know, a bit rewarding watching yourself get better each day. But when I was in Victoria, um, myself and Jed Beaton, oh, man, we played some golf. Like, maybe too much. So <laughs> that's uh, definitely a massive hobby of mine. I've uh, I was lucky enough to get a jet ski for my 21st birthday. So I've uh, been riffing that around a little bit, which has been sick. I love going fast, so that works for me. And, uh, yeah, like I said with the trials bikes before, that's the new hobby at the moment. Actually been really enjoying it. So trying to do that for a bit of this summer, it's, it's kind of a cool change because – uh, the trials park is all trees around, so it's shady and a little bit cool because, you know, for example, today will be 40 degrees Celsius. So, uh, yeah, it's very hot in Western Australia, but uh, that's cool to do something different. And I suppose jet ski is good for that also because of the you're in the ocean. But aside from that, other hobbies, not not so much. More of a, more of a bike guy uh, for other things. I like trail riding and uh getting into a little bit of bmx at the skate park with some mates at the moment as well so just trying to maybe get my childhood skills back i suppose because i was good on everything when i was little and now i'm mediocre at everything so just uh having fun with it and yeah seeing what happens Oh, man, I suppose doing all those various activities, it's all a form of exercise. It all contributes to making you, I guess, better on a bike and no matter what it is. So that's pretty cool to hear, mate. And I guess will you be tuned into the WSX and OzX this weekend, kind of the last round of the Aussie series as well as the WSX. So I think you said you're not going, mate. So just tune in from afar and have enjoyed the series so far. OzX and WSX has obviously had their 
problems, especially the latter one, but with the track in the Abu Dhabi and stuff. But yeah, I guess it's all good series. It's all more sort of exposure for our riders and better for the sport to get out there on the world stage. So yeah, just your thoughts on that, mate. Will you be tuned in to watch as well? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been been watching them all. So it's uh, I'm a racer. I love watching racing and, you know, I, I really wish I was over there. But to be fair, when you're running around the back of the pack all year, you're not making any money. So yeah, I'm just going to save my money and watch it on the TV at home. But uh, yeah, I'll be yelling at the TV. I've got, a, you know, a bunch of mates racing it. I've been around the around the sport for a long time. So I know most of them guys and it's really cool. And for me as a racer, it's cool to sort of know the backstories of each people, you know, and you're watching them race and you know their personality off the track and everything. So it kind of makes me laugh when I watch racing because I'm like, oh, that guy's pretty funny and then he's going and doing that but yeah hard to explain but i'll definitely be watching and you know good luck to everyone i hope everyone stays safe yeah absolutely mate well said because there was some certainly nasty ones in newcastle wasn't there on that sort of slick track so i guess the guys will be happy to be on a proper supercross track and you probably prefer that to those sort of tighter arenas like we saw in adelaide and abu dhabi for wsx mate what's your take on those i suppose anyway to get a race in it is these days isn't it 100 percent. i think you know something that people are maybe not taking into account is starting a series isn't going to happen overnight. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I doubt, and I could be wrong, but I'm sure the very first, if you go way back, the very first supercross races in America weren't too big. Mm. So that's my opinion on it. I think maybe just have a bit of faith and maybe, maybe a little bit less hate on those guys. Cause I'm sure they're stressed out trying to figure out how am I going to rent a stadium in Saudi Arabia? Because yeah. I wouldn't get one on how to do that, and ninety nine percent of us wouldn't. So, uh, yeah, maybe just cut them guys some slack if you're one of those haters in the comments, because it probably isn't as easy as it seems. No, nah, but I hate to think it's one thing doing it in Australia and then doing it on the world stage with all the yeah, so many moving parts and you know all the different stadiums and laws you got to go through for different countries. So yeah, definitely probably ease off on it because yeah, the keyboard warriors will be probably out no doubt this weekend again, mate. So cheers again for taking the time, mate. And just before we let you go, just anyone you'd like to obviously there's so many people you'd like to thank and you know where can people follow you on social media and just follow your story and, and follow your progress to see what you're up to, mate. Cause uh, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are keen to sort of keep track of what Regan Duffy's doing. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I hate to be one to uh, forget to thank someone. So bear with me, but uh, I just want to give a massive thank you to Kyle Blunden and everyone else at the gas gas Australia team for giving me this first year back after my injury. It's been massive for me, obviously to have that support. Um, my personal sponsors, Ant and Leanne from Very Sweet Strawberry Farms, they've been massive for me. Uh, Bo Emerton from Oakley, Australia, unreal support as always. Johnny and Simone from Lusty Industries, they sort of always helped me with the Troy Lee and former boots. Uh, Stephen and Sean Gall from CTI, uh, they've actually just sending my braces back. I just sent them over to get fixed up before I start riding again. So shout out to those guys, Rob Brand from Nobby Underwear, best in the game. And yeah, everyone else involved with me, uh, all my sponsors of the teams and anyone else that has helped, whether it be good advice, you know, anything like that. I appreciate everyone. So yeah, thanks to all the listeners and stuff. And uh, if anyone wants to keep up to date with the new trials bike journey, <laughs> among other things the my instagram is regan duffy 72 um regan duffy mx is my facebook page and yeah if anyone's ever got any questions or just wants to chat or whatever shoot me a message and uh yeah be happy to do that so yeah thanks again everyone no, it's been awesome having a chat and just hearing how everything's going for you, mate, getting an update because, yeah, it's sort of yeah not been the ideal year for you, mate. So we definitely wish you all the best for the future and definitely keen to get you back on again, mate. But before we let you go, we'll just thank the sponsors for part two of this one in AS3 Performance Parts, the home of aftermarket motocross enduro parts from hardware and protection parts, including skid plates and radiator braces performance cooling parts including silicon radiator hoses and oversized impeller kits as3 also have a huge range of brake clutch and gear levers all with different features and adjustability check them out online at as3performance.co.uk and obviously kawasaki motors are pleased with the arrival of the klx 140r range the easy to ride lineup offers a 144cc engine plus suspension and push button electric start 
making for great trailblazers. The machines come in three different sizes, ranging from juniors, first tentative steps to pushing the door wide open on adult riding. The highly regarded range is ready and willing to add fun and enjoyment in 2023. Contact your local dealership for more information. All right, thanks again, Regan, for joining us, mate. All the best with the off-season. And, yeah, can't wait to see you back out there racing in 2024. Yeah, no problem. Quick uh, quick shout-out to my mechanic, Declan, as well. He'll kill me if I don't say thanks. <laughs> nah, mate, big <laughs> shout-out to the mechanics. Respect for all they do. And, yeah, all the best, and we'll chat soon, mate. No problem. Thanks, guys. See ya. Cheers, mate. Have a good one.